I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. Today's guest is a new friend. Pia Stankina is a life and business coach for female leaders with a diverse background, including looking after fashion, beauty, and luxury clients at Google, co-founding a rocket internet beauty subscription startup, and training at Central St. Martin in fashion design. Pia has successfully transitioned careers multiple times and now works primarily as a life and a business coach for women who want to create a life, business, or career that they truly love. Pia's clients are a mix of founders, C-level executives, and those looking to reinvent themselves after a timeout. I met Pia on social media when I noticed one of her posts to be super inspiring. And so I called, texted her and say, would you like to be on slow-mo? So there she is with us today. Hi. Hi. Thank you for joining me. That has been a bit in the making, I think. Absolutely. I'm happy that we're actually able to speak and that my Wi-Fi is working. I want to start with what introduced us. So you're a friend of a friend. And then I commented on uh, his picture with his family. And then you commented on my comment. And then I looked at your profile and the picture that I found there on Instagram started like this. It said, after 17 days of being physically and mentally ill, the frightening dark desperation is lifting. And I find myself in the messy middle of this great undoing and reimagining. On March 19th, life pulled the rug out from underneath me once again. I have to tell you, I was completely blown away by that post. So the post basically shows a picture of you. I mean, people who know you will know that you're always tip top, very well dressed, (laughs) in shape. I mean, just take a quick look at her Instagram and you'll find out. And there is this picture of you slightly out of shape really looking amazing, as every woman always is, but sort of a little battered by life. And the words underneath are talking about how difficult things have been. So this actually is what connected us. I found that very inspiring. So I send you that message. I say, would you like to tell people about this? Now is the time. Tell people what happened. Uh, Thank you. So I would say that I did feel really battered when I wrote that post. And the reason was that I had, like I said in the post, been physically ill with coronavirus. And the way it had hit me was in stages. So at the time when I first got it, I actually was walking down the street the day before and I was thinking, you know what? I'm doing really well in life. I'm really proud of myself. If I die tomorrow, it'll really suck for my daughter, but I'm okay with that. You know, I was in this place where I just thought, I'm totally fine. I've got this whole life nailed. I'm doing pretty well. And I was feeling very detached. And then when I got sick for the first 12 days, I just stayed in that ultra resilient mindset where I just thought I can get through this mind over matter. 
everything is energy. And I just kept doing what I was doing. So I kept cleaning the house. I kept working. I kept trying to be there for my daughter. I kept trying to be a good friend. I kept trying to stay in shape. I kept just trying to carry on. And then on day 13, when I was expecting from the anecdotes of other people for everything to start really soothing and softening, it actually hit me really hard. And suddenly I was coughing in a way that was really hurting my lungs. And my chest was really hurting. And I thought, oh my God, maybe I'm actually not going to make it. And I started oh, wow. really feeling weak. You know, I really started feeling like, actually, I can't go on. I can't keep the house clean anymore. I can't work. I can't look after my daughter. What am I going to do? And it's maybe hard to explain how hard it was for me at that point to admit these, I'm putting in inverted commas, weaknesses. And that actually, even if I was trying to bring the energy of I can do anything and I'm resilient and life is a video game and all that stuff, I was battered and I was incredibly scared and I felt like a real failure. And that day I actually sat down and I was really crying with resistance and I wrote down, what am I if I'm not striving? And I started just journaling on that point and I started writing, who am I if I'm not trying to improve? Who am I if I'm not useful? Who am I if I'm not trying to be healthy? Who am I if I'm not an amazing mother? Who am I if I'm not this, if I'm not that, if I'm not that? And I realized as I was writing this that the way I was living, even though I was taking time every morning to meditate, even though I was exercising, even though I was trying to eat in balance, I was trying to be a good mother, I was doing it to perform. I was doing it to have permission to be here. I was doing it to be good enough. And I suddenly realized that even though I was trying to do all the things to be in the presence, they had become just one more checkbox on being enough. They'd just become one more way to jump the hurdle, to jump through the hoop. And it just all came crashing down on me. And the moments when I have been at a, one of my best friend's houses and looked around and thought, you know, I really love this guy, but it's so dirty and it's so dusty. And how does he live like this? I could never live like that. Suddenly I was living like that. When I've seen people eating only junk or not feeding their kids well, I've thought, oh my God, do they not want for their kids to be better? But suddenly I was in that place and my kid was literally living off fish fingers and pizza. Nice. And, Best time ever. <laughs> yes, she loved it. But for me, it was all the things that I thought, you know, you can always try harder. You can always do better. I suddenly couldn't. I just couldn't. And I felt incredibly defeated. Why do we push ourselves so hard? Why? Well... It's such a good question. It's such a good question. Why do we do that? And, you know, I'm sure everyone has a different answer. But for me, I think part of the answer is that I've always felt incomplete in a way. And I think that's one of the reasons. I've always felt like there's something about me that's maybe not enough. It's not good enough. It's not lovable enough. And when I wrote in that Instagram post, life has pulled the rug out from underneath me once again. That's a theme in my life, like how you talk about life being a video game and having different levels. Every video game also has a setting or like a theme that comes up. And my theme is being the child of a, a German man and an Indian woman who are diplomats and who are moving every three years. And as a child, literally every three years, losing my entire environment, my whole community, every friend, every teacher, basically my sense of identity, it just being gone and moving to another place. My whole life, there's just been all these kind of different themes. Last year, I broke up with my fiance, and he was, again, the person I thought was going to be my savior, my soulmate, the one person who could love me and really see me and complete me. And then when that broke up, we just bought my wedding dress and put down a deposit for our wedding venue. We just bought a house. My daughter was starting to call him daddy. And we broke up pretty much in the space of two weeks. 
And again, it felt like the rug is being pulled out from underneath me. And right before coronavirus, I felt like, okay, I finally found my purpose as a coach. I'm finally really helping people. I feel really like coherent with who I am, what my strengths are, what my passions are, what my values are. And I was starting to think about how can I scale this? How can I make a product around it? How can I reach more people? And then this virus hits that creates this huge mental health crisis for all of us. And I want to help so badly. I want to be of value and I can't. And so again, the rug was pulled up from underneath me. And so I don't know. I think what I'm realizing more and more for me is that I need to learn to be okay. You know, when coronavirus hit me and made me realize I'm going to be bloated, I have spots, you know, I still have acne all over my face. My digestion is a nightmare. I couldn't help anyone. I'm not making enough money. Actually, this month I have to give my landlord notice because I can't afford the rent on my home anymore. You know, literally everything is happening so intensely right now in my life that I really feel like it's what I need as a soul or as a human to keep progressing upwards. Is that true? I mean, is life, yeah. is life annoying just because it's trying to make us think about where we are? I mean, in general, is life giving us the coronavirus just to reflect? I see it like that, yeah. When I listen to what you say about life being like a video game, I really, really agree. You know, when I listen to my clients or my friends or even when I notice my own thoughts, it's not like we've been happy going the way we have, right? The pace that we've been at has been completely unsustainable. The way we're treating our planet is unsustainable. The way we're alienated from ourselves, from our needs, it's unsustainable and it's not making us happy. And I think the coronavirus, so many good things have come out of it. Like it's been completely destigmatized to talk about your mental health. Anyone can now say, I have anxiety. And basically you're a bit backwards if you frown upon that because that's the trend where we're going. That's so interesting. I never thought of that. I mean, actually. don't you agree? Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like now we have the freedom to say, guys, you know what? Life is tough and I don't have to pretend that everything is in order. And that honestly, this is what really inspired about your post, because from one side, you're successful. And we're going to talk about your career. You're successful in your coaching career. You're a beautiful woman and a woman wants to be beautiful, wants to be seen as beautiful. Right. Yeah. But there you are putting out a post out there saying, this is not my most beautiful. This is not the best I have been. This is not the most successful I have been. And yet I'm actually willing to share that with everybody, which in all honesty is exactly the opposite of the rules of Instagram. The rules of Instagram is to find that one little spot of you that is yeah. still in good shape and put that online, right? And to me, that's quite amazing that you find the strength, that you find the interests in helping others so much that you go against your instinct of saying, I want to always be seen as I have it all together. I'm always glowing and I'm always sparkling. What was the response that you got to that post? It was very, very encouraging. And firstly, it was incredibly supportive. And I think one of the other things coronavirus has taught me is how important it is to have a connection to myself and my needs. And the other thing is to learn to, when I'm feeling ugly or I'm feeling less than, to actually reach out. Because one of my standard ways of reacting is to isolate, to withdraw until, you know, I'm glowing again and I'm beautiful again, and then to re-emerge from my transformation. And I definitely go through transformations pretty regularly these days. <laughs> but what was so beautiful is that I decided, like you said, that my instinct is that I want to be safe and I want to be secure. I want to be seen as worthy and lovable and pretty and desirable. 
But what's more important than my instinct is one of the things that I realized more strongly than ever during coronavirus is when I was lying in bed one night and I was crying and I was just thinking about, is this what my life is? What is my life about? And I realized my number one priority in life is to be an amazing mother. And in order to be that, I have to be in an amazing place myself. But my number two priority is to be someone who is almost like, I don't mean a role model as in I want people to look up to me. I want it more to be someone who shows you that it's possible to be another way from the role models that we know. It's possible to not be perfect. you know. And when I say perfect, we all know there is no perfect. But yet we all feel like we're not perfect enough, even if we know that we can never be perfect. Are we not? I had a conversation with Alain de Baton. We recorded oh my God. that. <laughs> I love him. He's amazing. And you know, he in his view about love and relationships, he goes like, love is difficult because we're imperfect in every possible way. We're flawed in every possible way. And in my personal view, I was like, but then that is perfection. You know what I mean? If you think about it, if an entire nation loves to dress in blue, green, and orange, you know, big, big, flashy red circles on their cheeks, then to that nation, this is perfection. This is how we are, right? And in reality, I think the biggest beauty of us as humans is that flaw, if you want to call it flaw, because it isn't, it's just alive. It's aliveness. Aliveness is to be imperfect, isn't it? And I find that quite interesting as a message that comes to me two days in a row that says, because we're imperfect, when I actually think, No, I think we're doing just fine. We're exactly how we're supposed to be, which is sometimes unpredictable, sometimes fluctuating, sometimes on the top and sometimes hitting rock bottom. And that is life. And so it's perfect. I agree with you 100%. Yeah. I agree with you 100%. And when I say perfect, I don't actually mean what I think is perfect or what I consider to be perfect or what feels to us like perfect because we've all had a moment where we have felt perfect, right? Where we have felt bliss, where we felt oneness with our surroundings. We felt connected to ourselves. But the sense of perfect that you were describing that we see on Instagram, the sense of perfect that we're conditioned to believe in when we're at school, right? I have an 11-year-old child and she's constantly trying to make sense of How is there only one way to be perfect, to get an A grade? How is there only one way to get it right? How am I in a competition with other people where only one person get picked for something? When we all know in life, that's not actually how it is. It is maybe like that in artificial environments, like in a corporate environment where there's only one promotion or something stupid like that. But in life, I agree with you. You know, when we go into nature, one of my favorite things to do to feel at ease, to feel oneness, to feel connection We see that every single leaf is different. Every single petal is different. Every single ant is different. And they all are perfect, right? Yeah, as a matter of fact, everything about a natural park is imperfect. Leaves on the floor. I mean, clean freaks like some of us will go and go like, why are there leaves here? You know, why didn't anyone clean this? It's because this is nature. Nature is about having leaves on the ground, right? It's about having a tree that is a little bent out of shape or another tree that has fallen. And we look at the tree that has fallen and we go like, Oh my God, that's so beautiful, right? And somehow we miss that idea. We miss that idea that we are so beautiful because we are imperfect. And I think everyone would agree that Angelina Jolie might be stunning. But if you really, really pay attention, almost everything about her is imperfect. Like as per the standard of beauty, she's probably 
like, what are you doing here, you little freak, right? I don't mean that in a, in a, in a bad way. I think her freakness, you know, the features that are slightly big, you know, big lips and whatever is mis- making her perfect. It's making her her own version of perfect. Again, I think what you did is just address a challenge that everyone faces. It is very, very true that everyone feels that way. Not many people have the courage to stand up and say, hey, guys, I'm suffering here. Part of your story, as I started to learn more about you, is that you describe yourself as multiracial. So you're another very interesting post I found on your Instagram page, basically spoke about you being multiracial. When I asked you on WhatsApp, you said I'm Indian, German, Italian, and Norwegian, right? So as I would imagine, you're spiritual, efficiently emotional or emotionally efficient, right? Italian, German, serious, fun lover, right? Something like that, who's seeking. So, you know, every one of those becomes quite a unique blend in who you are, but then somehow they are seen by the world as, okay, so hold on, hold on. She's not the typical person that we are used to. And how does that play out in your life? It's again, I think, a theme that I've grappled with throughout my life. Like when I was growing up, people kept asking me, where are you from? No, where are you really from? And for anyone who has any kind of multi-ethnic background, that's a tricky question and it warrants a more complicated answer than I'm from Shropshire or whatever your answer (laughs) would be. But if your answer is, actually, I don't know where I'm from because I've moved every three years and some of the places I felt most at home are not places where I have any ethnic ties to. My parents aren't even from there. Actually, I don't know where I'm from because I don't feel at home anywhere. And white people treat me like I'm an exotic object that they would never consider one of their own. And brown people tell me, oh, it's so nice that you're so pale and fair. How (laughs) how do you get like that? Is it the water that you drink in Germany? So, you know, when you are othered all the time by everyone that you are kind of seeking shelter with, again, you never know where the hell you're from. And so my story is that story of realizing that Every time I try to tie my identity to a signifier, I fail. Every time I fall flat on my face. That's actually not very different from the same theme of every time I try to be perfect. Exactly. Life pulls the rug from underneath me, isn't it? Yeah. And you know, when you were talking about when we're in the park and we see this tree and we see the fallen tree and everything is perfect and everything is beautiful, it reminded me that I think one of the reasons we feel that we aren't perfect enough and we feel the sense that we have to be homogeneously perfect is because we are alienated from our natural environment, right? If you think about like you and I both worked at Google and many people see this as like the absolute pinnacle of working in a company because it feels like it's still scrappy and real and people can be who they are and bring your whole self to work. But we both know that you're actually working in rows of tables under harsh, bright lighting, you're working basically all day and all night. I was completely out of sync with what I needed, who I am, my circadian rhythm, everything was alienated. And I think that's one of the things that happens to us is that we become alienated from what is natural and we become very much accustomed to the perfect 90 degree angles of our kitchen island and of computers and of filters and lenses and cameras. So I think one thing is that we're alienated. And the other thing that you were saying, my daughter and I did this exercise the other day when I was still really sick and we sat down in the garden and we wrote down all the things that we are embarrassed about, about ourselves, the things we feel shame about, the things that we feel aren't pretty enough. So I wrote down, I feel like my nose is too big. I feel like my hair grows everywhere. I feel like my hair does something on my head, you know, my head hair. <laughs> it does something different every single day and it's completely out of control. I feel like my knees are wonky. I feel like this. And what we did is what you described. That's so unfair. 
It's unfair, but it's all things I've been told. It's things I've been told explicitly by other human beings. And it's also things that I've seen that are not in alignment with what is desirable, what is used to sell desire, what is used as what is homogenous beauty. And so we both filled a whole page of all the different details about ourselves that we don't like. And then we wrote about what we do like. And both yes. of us started writing things that were not detailed. So we started realizing, okay, I don't really like my nose, but I really like the shape of my overall face. I really like the way my features play together. Or it is really hard to manage my hair because it does something every day. But actually, I love that my hair is so alive and that it's so unique and it adds so much character to me. Okay, I'm not crazy about my knees when I zone in on my knees. But when I look at my whole leg, I actually love that I'm powerful and athletic and strong. We started doing that exact thing that you were saying, which is stopping to look at that individual thing. Like, you know how women sometimes have those crazy magnifying mirrors that you get I in know, hotels? I know. And then they drive you crazy. Little, like, yeah, there's this tiny, tiny, tiny little dot on her forehead. And she goes like, ah, I'm dying. I'm exactly. nobody, no one's ever going to look at me again. And it's funny that you say hair because my wonderful daughter, Aya, will remember when she was six ayahs hair is a bit african but also quite soft and you know so it's a very unique you know curly and so on and for years and years since she was six she would try to straighten it and it's impossible when she wakes up in the morning at age 11 wants to go to school she's upset about her hair it's almost a bad hair day every day until we created that little song that basically said my hair is beautiful so you would hear her singing something that like my hair is beautiful don't panic and, uh, <laughs> <Don't panic. laughs> and, so, and so really and until today every time she has a, a bad hair day she texts me and say my hair is beautiful don't panic and of course when she moved to Canada her hair became her biggest attraction because it's so attractive and curly and full and suddenly she doesn't want to straighten it anymore because that's really as real real character comes from that and we sometimes look at those things and say they're imperfect when in reality they're exactly the opposite. When I advise people to do the exercise that you did, I actually take out the part that says, right, what I don't like about me. Because theoretically, I don't think there needs to be something we don't like about us. There needs to be something we can improve about us. But there are things, with all due respect, I'm almost certain you can't really improve on your needs. So if I can't improve on it, why should I write about it? But I love the part of writing what I love about me. I actually ask people to start a list that starts with a wonderful description of themselves, like brilliant Pia or uh, wonderful Pia or lovely Pia or beautiful Pia, and then says, here is what I love about you. And I encourage people to keep writing. Here is what I love about you. And when you look deep inside, unless you really have an issue with self-love, you find a ton of things that your kindness, your care about your daughter, your responsibility, your advice to people, your friendship. If you don't like your knees, you'll like your legs, as you rightly said, and so on and so forth. And I think that exercise of self-love is probably, I would say, the most powerful part of us getting to really progress in life. Because you start from a base that says, no, 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 it's not that I'm not good enough. I am very good. There are areas where I can do better, but I'm quite good. And when you start from there, that makes a very big difference, I find. I hear you on that, but I also, I don't fully agree that everyone can go straight to that point. And I remember, as you know, I'm a big fan of your work. And thank you. I did not know when I approached you, but thank you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know now. And when I listened to your second podcast with Elizabeth Day, 
I remember she asked you a question and you cut her off really abruptly and said, no, Elizabeth, we won't talk about that. And you said, we're going to shift our focus. And I really appreciated that you did that. And I also know that that's not always possible for a human being. And one of the things that I do a lot with my clients, and most of my clients are women, is we actually acknowledge our suffering. And I think that's one of the things I was doing with my post is creating space to say, like you said earlier, that life is not always easy. Actually, life can be really hard. And actually, I am suffering. And one of the reasons I think that's really important is because I feel like sometimes when we're suffering, it's like a pot of hot water and it's on a stove and the flame is boiling and boiling and we are shoving the lid down with all our force, just trying to pretend it's not boiling, just going about our day, carrying on, trying to distract ourselves, trying to deny, distorting what's happening. And when we actually acknowledge suffering, it's literally just like taking the lid off the pot and so much heat can just evaporate. And suddenly the, all the water, it cools down to a simmer and now we can work with it. I totally love this. So I'm not against this at all, as a matter of fact. So my next book, which sadly is a little delayed because of the delay in the whole world, talks, mm. exactly, <laughs> yeah, talks exactly about that. It talks about, again, remember, I'm a Middle Eastern man, so not only men, but Middle Eastern men. So I'm raised to stand in line of rocks and rockets and cars stepping on me and go like, it doesn't hurt. I'm good. I can continue. I can carry more. And one of the biggest transformations in my life was the ability to actually acknowledge my emotions that, hey, 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 hold on. Don't be fooled by the beard. I feel right? And because I feel, I need to express those feelings. But this is different than criticizing me. For example, I trade in the stock market frequently and I love my mathematical skills and I make reasonable monies over there. And every now and then you make a mistake and everyone makes a mistake. And it's still part of me that it's so difficult for me to reconcile that mistake and go like, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're not perfect. You make mistakes. And I batter myself. It's like, you saw this. It was clear in the math. How did you allow yourself to do it? And I find that that doesn't get us anywhere. You know, what gets us anywhere is to say, hey, by the way, you made a mistake and that's fine. And it's hurting you and that's fine. But you also did a few good things. And that's why you're here. And that's why you're continuing. Talk to me about women. That was the topic I wanted to bring up. So you coach women. One side is your career, which is quite impressive. And I think inspires a lot of women. But also you, you say you coach women on finding themselves. Can you tell me about that? Yeah. So actually, what women come to me for is that they want to feel happier. So they come to me and they feel anxious. They feel overwhelmed. They feel stuck. Um, They're very driven. They're always incredibly ambitious. Typical of today's life for a woman. Absolutely. And a lot of them, again, they're kind of disconnected from themselves. And again, one of the reasons I think it's actually so important for women, or at least the type of women that I work with, to acknowledge the critical voices in them is because they're so alienated from everything going on in them. The only thing that most of them have internalized, and so many of them are women of color and black women, who a little bit like you were describing, have been told that basically no matter what life throws at you, just work harder. You are going to always have to work double as hard to get half the results. You're always going to be in survival mode. It's so sad, yeah. But what we need to do with those women is something that they often find quite confusing because they come to me and they want from me that I make them more productive. They want from me that I help them be more successful. They want from me that they find a boyfriend and that they fall in love and everything is hunky-dory. And instead what they find is that 
we're just talking and I'm helping them to connect with the other types of intelligence that every woman has that's not just cognitive analytical thinking. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. And as you know, you have children. Women are are creators of life, right? We have a huge amount of creative and sexual power. We have cycles that change. And like you were saying, in nature, there are seasons. Every woman has basically a full season, cycles through a season every 28 days or every 30 days or whatever it might be. And sometimes we're able to be incredibly strong and resilient and we're able to overcome anything. And other times we're a complete mess and we're thinking about everything that we haven't managed and everything that's not good enough about us. And that's okay. You know, I help women become much more in sync with these other parts of themselves, the balancing the masculine and the feminine energies in them, learning to realize what are the things I criticize in myself and allowing that voice to be there and realizing I don't need to listen to that voice. I don't need to engage with that voice instead of always pretending that voice isn't there, starting to build up the other types of voice inside of them, like you do, you know? What is the thing that I love about myself? When do I go into a moment of flow? So they come to me because they want to be more productive. They want to be better time management. They want to make more money. All of those things, they want to start their business. But what I really do is I just help them connect back to themselves. And when they do that, they realize they don't need an accountability coach who's putting pressure on them because they perform well under pressure. You know, that's what they uh, all say in the beginning. I hate those things. Me too, I hate it. Oh my God. You know what? I hate them for two reasons. Because I will have to say openly that even though from an awareness point of view, many of my readers are women, right? So they are aware of their need for happiness. They're aware of their ability to connect to themselves. So they read and they invest in it. But at the same time, it feels to me from talking to the average woman in her 30s today that there is more unhappiness. There is more struggle. Let me use that word. And that struggle is not necessarily all Of course, I say openly, and I will write about the topic, that the world is unfair. The world is not giving the equal chance for the game to be played by women, because sadly, the game of capitalism is designed for men. It's designed for competition and for aggression and for and so on and so forth. But the reality is that we make it worse. We here meaning women because we don't use our strength. We tend to use the masculine side of us, which is not our strength. And our strength is actually in creation, in that ability to be a woman, to be fully out there in the feminine and then create differently and then progress differently. I love what you said by saying, and sometimes we're a mess. That's actually a big statement. And by the way, men... If women are listening, we are sometimes a mess too. As a matter of fact, as frequently, we're just told that boys shouldn't cry, right? And so being human is about being a mess. Now, you said, but sometimes we're a mess and that's okay. How can you be okay with that? It goes back to the same way that your first post attracted me to say, come on the podcast. How can you be okay with that? How can you show the world that I am a mess I've had coronavirus and look at me, but it's okay. Yeah. And, you know, I want to caveat this by saying I'm not fully okay with my own messiness yet, right? I still struggle to be seen as all the things that I am and to live with parts of me that I feel like don't conform to what is lovable and worthy and successful. Okay. I'm going to pause you there. I have no ability whatsoever to see any messiness about you. For our listeners, I can actually look at Pia. There is no messiness out there. No, that's not true. It's not true. 
I'm hoping that you will not stand up on the screen and then there will be like a gorilla leg with massive hairs. And even that wouldn't be very messy. But here's the question. So again, go back and tell me. So yes, you're not okay with that messiness, but you're okay with sharing it with the world. Well, I'm learning to be increasingly okay with it. And one of the things that I'm realizing is that my daughter, we're starting to talk about periods at the moment because she's 11. And periods, I think, connect very strongly back to what we were talking about, which is being a woman, being yes. a creator and having these Absolutely. cycles, right? This changeability in our very nature, in our bodies. And what I've realized is that actually is an incredible power that we have. So, Absolutely. And you know, not every cycle, every menstrual cycle aligns with the moon, but mine actually really does align very, very closely with the moon. And the way I have now learned to frame myself and my body and my moods that I go through is to really go with the moon. And when the new moon starts, I'm usually just coming off my period and I'm starting to have a new sense of energy. And actually, I used to drive my bosses at Google crazy because we'd be in an elevator and they'd ask how you're doing. And I would very pointedly tell them all about my period because <laughs> I did I feel that. like... You have to consistently perform, right? One of the things that we really value in our society is consistency and linear growth. And actually, women are not like that. And actually, maybe people are not like that. We're totally. cyclical. Totally. But what I wanted to say is, you know, when I'm coming off my period, it's usually around the time of the new moon. And I really see the same thing in me and the moon. So the moon is just starting to get its energy so again. Beautiful. It's just starting to get light. It's just starting to create, uh, get light from the sun and it's starting to conceive inside of itself. And that's exactly how I feel, not conceive in the sense that I'm pregnant, but I'm starting to conceive ideas again. I'm starting to really come out of my shell and I'm really engaging with the world again. I'm starting to think I wanna do stuff. Suddenly I wanna exercise more rigorously. Maybe sometimes, you know, I'm even feeling like I want to engage in like sexual activities, which I don't at the moment. But, TMI, you know, there's no. basically, <laughs> an, <laughs> but there's energy there. And then as the moon is becoming a full moon, I have been setting my intentions about what I want to achieve this month. What matters to me? What do I want to learn? How do I want to show up? What do I want to change in the way I'm mothering my child, in the way I'm thinking about myself, in the way I'm running my business, the way I'm running my home? And by the time the full moon comes, I often can't sleep and I have so much energy. And it's literally like the full moon with all of its light is illuminating my whole life. And I can really take a moment to take stock. When I was getting my energy, setting my intentions, setting my goals, where am I with that now? It literally just puts light on everything and it gives me a chance to refocus, to realign. And then as the moon is going into becoming a dark moon, I notice that my energy is changing and I'm becoming more moody. I'm starting to want to stay at home more. I don't want to go out. I don't want to see people. I'm starting to assess what's going on. I'm having moments where I'm feeling like maybe I didn't do as well this moment. I'm feeling maybe some guilt, maybe some shame, tiredness, moodiness, loneliness, anxiety, wanting to be comforted. And I feel like that's okay in that time because it's dark then. You know, literally the moon has gone dark and so have I. And I'm detoxing everything that didn't happen. I'm detoxing, I'm learning, I'm listening to myself, I'm journaling a lot, I'm crying, and I'm letting everything come out. And you're bleeding in that time as well, right? So you're often, you're in pain, you're tired, you're, you're fatigued. And then as you come out of that, suddenly the energy is coming back and suddenly it's like springtime again. And the moon again is also becoming big. So I've realized that my period is a really amazing way for me to constantly have like New Year's resolutions, basically, you know, to keep setting goals, to realign, to assess what's working, what isn't, and then to start again. This is so beautiful. This actually aligns very, very strongly of, with my views of the same topic, by the way, which if men are listening, she just gave you the secret to really, really dancing with your woman. Because the reality is a woman 
actually does go through those cycles and every one of those cycles, even the dark moon, believe it or not, has a purpose. It becomes dark for us to stay in the cave, for us to rest, for us to reflect. And I think the biggest challenge that women face in today's world is that, as you rightly said, is the expectation of consistency. The expectation that even during that time, I will still be in 12-hour meetings, I will still be running around, and that's absolutely wrong. And the reality is that what we should do is we should actually take that time, like the dark moon, as women to go back to retreat, to plan our days differently, to allow ourselves a little more dark chocolate and stretching, to really, really listen to that message that our body is giving us, which is basically retreat and take care of me. And of course, if you're a good man in a woman's life or a good woman in another woman's life, this is the time where you say, my partner needs me to take care of them. My partner needs me to soothe them. My partner needs me to hug them. And understanding that cycle is really the key because it's a dance. Life is not a sprint. It's not always up. It's two steps left, one step right, it's two steps right and one step left. And if you can't hear the rhythm, interestingly, you're messing up. That is so beautiful, Pia. I think this really is a big message for a lot of people. I want to close with one more question, but before I do, I've learned to give people a reminder that the reason you're here is because we want you to be happy. We want you to take charge of your happiness, but we're trying to make a billion people happy. So I want people to please help me out by sharing the message. Tell others what you learned. Send them to peers, uh, uh, contacts, uh, Instagram, whatever. And uh, tell them about slow-mo. Tell them that this is a good place for them to learn something and share a message of happiness because if you help us out, we will reach a billion happy. So Pia, part of your early conversation, you said you were born to diplomats who traveled the world every three years. And you went to wonderful places, I'm sure, and some not so wonderful places. But in the mind of so many people, this is the dream. Diplomats is like, this is the image that you have in the movies around the aristocrats of our world. And yet you found it challenging. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, I agree. When people meet me and hear that my parents were diplomats, they always think that we lived some kind of James Bond life, you know, that we were spies. <laughs> yeah. And the reality is we did have an amazing life, you know, wherever we went. My mother has what she says has always had more dash than cash. So she has innate style and innate scrappiness. And we've always managed to live in the most beautiful homes. You know, my dad loves cars and so we've always had beautiful cars. We've always had staff. I've always gone to amazing schools. I have lived a life that has looked very abundant. But at the same time, my dad was born in 1945 after the Second World War in Germany, and his parents hadn't worked in that time. And so he actually raised us with a real sense of not having enough. And similarly with my mother, I think she was very scrappy, but there was always a sense that we didn't have enough. And then we were also moving all the time. So I always felt like I didn't belong. Again, I was mixed race. So I didn't, I literally looked different from other people. I sounded different. So my accent has always been a complete mix of craziness. And you've got to remember, this is before we had Instagram. This is before we had Facebook. This is before WhatsApp. So firstly, there was not necessarily a way to stay in touch with other human beings and to have that sense of continuity and community, which gives a growing child a sense of security. 
And then the other thing is that because we didn't have all this digital media, you didn't have what I was saying, different role models of what it can look like to live. So most of the people that we would come into contact with, they didn't understand who we were or what we were doing. And I never saw people who were like me. So growing up, I literally always just felt like there was something so wrong with me. I didn't feel physically safe because I was constantly losing shelter. Of course, we would move to a nice new place, but I was always in that sense of there was no grounding. Then I didn't really feel a strong sense of security in myself because my parents had a lot of difficulties, challenges, were both very ambitious, took their jobs very seriously, took raising us very seriously. But, you know, there wasn't a lot of sense of like emotional security, emotional intimacy and vulnerability. I didn't feel seen for who I truly am because I was always trying to fit in, you know, like your daughter is always trying to be what I saw other people being. And I also didn't have a lot of soothing because unfortunately I didn't have a great relationship with my parents for most of my life. I do now, thankfully, because we've all really worked at it. But, you know, I think those are the kind of the building blocks that a human being needs. And then the other thing is I didn't really have religion and I didn't have a higher power. I didn't have a connection to other things outside of myself. So I always just felt like I had a huge amount of focus on me and how I was wrong and how I didn't fit. And my life just exacerbated that in every single way. So it was really, really tough for me growing up. I felt incredibly lonely, anxious, and un, you know, unlovable and unworthy. Oh my God. Interestingly, you're none of those at all. I have to admit to you openly, I mean, for those of you who are listening, uh, this is the first time we actually meet face to face. You're very lovable, very worthy. Thank you for saying You've that. You've really, 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 really inspired me. I'm so grateful for what you said. I think in this very last two, three minutes of you describing your life. I have to say people maybe should rewind and listen to this again, because this had in its almost every challenge that we go through, you know, relationships with parents, relationships with our friends, security, grounding, affection, and so on and so forth. And believe it or not, to be able to so eloquently just say it so quickly it's like oh so i went through this and then then and that. <laughs> i think you've just simply given everyone a checklist because if you know what the challenge is you can work on it like you rightly exactly. said like working on your relationship with your parents because i know very few people that don't have issues with their parents but i will tell everyone listening that unless you work on those issues and until you work on those issues you're not complete Working on, on those issues takes a recognition that there is a point in your life when you're no longer a child and you shouldn't expect your parents to do things. You should actually go to your parents and say, look at me, I'm fully grown now. I have a personality and I have an idea and I want a relationship with you. And I want that relationship to be right. And I want us to work on it. And when we are in charge that way, it starts to work. You are amazing. Thank you. So are you. I'm very serious. I meet thousands, tens of thousands of people. You are an unbelievably incredible woman. Thank you. And I'm not giving you a compliment and don't feel uncomfortable about it. I'm telling you this because you need to be aware because people like you have a role in life. So that kind of self-introspection, that kind of incredible vulnerability to say, hey, this is not yet perfect, but I'm working on it. That is what people need in this world. This is unbelievable, Pia. This is so impressive. Thank you. I've always known that I'm here for a reason. I've always known I had a purpose and I've always felt like I don't belong, like I'm not good enough. And I've always been searching and I'm realizing now that like my soul contract or whatever it is, is to go through an incredibly difficult life with a huge amount of contradiction 
where I don't fit into any box, where I almost couldn't make sense of it for the longest time to go through physical, sexual, emotional abuse, everything I've gone through. So that I can really find to myself. I can find myself worth in my birthright, right? I'm here. That's it. That's all I need to know. And learning to really love myself, having a relationship with myself, learning to read and dance with myself, learning to realize my body is not an object for anyone else's consumption or pleasure. It's here to serve me. It's here to enable me. It's here to reflect back to me. It's here to do all the things for me. And I've really realized that I am here to be someone who is like an embodiment in that way, like not a role model as in look up to me, but just see me as this is one more way to be. I want to share that so that people can do that. And the other thing is that I am incredibly analytical and introspective and Google helped me with that a lot. (laughs) And I am creating more and more frameworks, right? I am starting to understand the things that I went through, even though they feel unique, they are universal lessons there. And the tools that I have developed to deal with myself, to manage with myself, to love myself, to function from the inside out, those are tools other people can use and they can acquire and then they can use them for their lives and then they can pass them on. You are so lovable. I am so grateful. You have no idea how proud of myself I am for having sent you that message to tell you to come and tell us <laughs> about you a little bit. Pia, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much for sending me that message. It's been such an honor and a pleasure. And if you'd like to connect with Pia, just go to her website, piastankina.com, or find her on social media. And for all of you who joined us, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to follow me on social media. Search for Mo Gaudet, Slow Mo, Soul for Happy, or One Billion Happy. I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, there is always time to slow down. Until next time, stay happy.